the Palm Beach Auction, where collectors collect. This December 9th, 10th, and 11th, come see the best of the best. Consign and bid on some of the finest classic sports and vintage vehicles from collectors around the world. Held at the fabulous Palm Beach County Convention Center. For more info, contact HollywoodCarAuctions.com or call 1-800-237-8954. That's 1-800-237-8954. The Palm Beach Auction, December 9th, 10th, and 11th. See you on the block. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radiant Cars. Let me tell you about my company, Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc. 727-541-1741. I have over 35 years' experience with classic, vintage, sport, and racing cars. I do appraisals, consulting, and pre-purchase inspections. Before you buy your next rare classic, the car of your dreams, give me a call at Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc. 727-541-1741. Also, due to my 28 years' experience in the auto salvage business, I am very good with wrecks. So if your car has been in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call me at 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for lost value of your repaired vehicle. That's Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc., 727-541-1741. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Wednesdays, 7 to 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network, AM 1340. Hi, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. If you'd like to play golf... Magnolia Valley Golf Club is offering some specials this week. Give them a call up there at 727-847-2342. They have a 9-hole executive course, and they have an 18-hole par 72. And they've got great food on the 19th hole. So call my friend Pete at 727-847-2342. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Listeners, you are tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and we are live here in the Mystery Garage in Ocala, Florida, at the Museum of Drag Racing with the man himself, the drag racer of drag racers, Big Daddy Don Garlitz. Thank you, Robert. We do this uh, every year in October, Rats and Rods with Big Daddy. Okay. And how did this whole thing come about? Well, it all came about, we used to do a billet proof car show and they left but they're coming back in march and uh it was such an overwhelming success we decided to do another one in the fall so this is the third time around and we're very happy with it okay and then basically the premise is is these are basically old school old style vintage hot rods kind of like is what most of these cars are here so they're anything from the 20s 30s 40s 50s and early 60s correct yeah, what they've actually tried to to accommodate is, you know, it, it's, the car shows got to the point where they were just, we call them bag bag ladies, you know, painted ladies. They, they, they came in a trailer in a plastic bag, they rolled them out, they showed them, they put them back in the trailer. And that's not how it was in the 50s and the 60s. We built these cars, and one of the famous sayings was, when it would run, it was done. And that's what you see out here. They're not worrying about pain or straightening every fender. They just got good brakes on them and a good engine. Oh, wow. Great. Now, tell us about some of the cars you had back in the early days. What was one of the first cars you had when you first started driving? 
Well, my first car was a 44 two-door, and it would have fit in real well out here. It had a few dents in it, and it was just a stock car that I drove back and forth to work. Then I got a 40 Ford convertible, and I put a Cadillac motor in it. Again, it would have fit in here real well. Then I took a little hiatus and met my wife and got married and had a 50 Ford during that period of time, just a stalker. But then immediately we got a 36 Ford, cut the fenders off, and you know, engine out in the open, a radiator out in the raw. That would have been a rat rod for sure. And then my 27 T Roadster, same deal, uh, just like these cars out here, and I raced with that. And from that we went to a dragster, which didn't run on the street anymore. And I've been, except for the few stalkers, Dodge Super Stocks that I've had, I've been all dragsters. Now, when you first got into cars, your first car was a Ford. So were you kind of a Ford guy, or that was just a prevalent car back in the day that everybody used to race and hot rod? Everybody liked the Fords because they were V8s, and it was a tremendous amount of equipment available for them. You could take that little 90-hundred horse engine and easily make it 175 horse. And it would rev up good, have good bearings, good oiling system, where your Chevrolets and your Chrysler products uh, didn't didn't fare well. The six cylinders and even their straight eights were a bit of a problem. There have been some straight eight Buicks that ran pretty good, maybe a Packard or two, but not, not nothing compared to the, to the V8 Ford that was introduced in '32, and they ran through '53 with a flathead, they call them, and. We love those engines, and in fact, if you look around here, you'll see that I'm in the midst of restoring a few of them right now. In fact, I even have a couple of overhead valve conversion kits for them, Ardens, that I'm getting ready to put on some. I'm in a flathead mode right now. I figure for the next couple of years, I'll be redoing all my flathead stuff for the museum. That's, in other words, once you get into one of these programs, you need to stay on it because you get real familiar with it. You get all the tools out get all the machines set up for the machining and everything so you might as well do a bunch of them while you're doing it because it's easier that way than because there's a lot of funny stuff involved in these engines and you get it out and you start working on it and then you put it up and you got to get it all back out so i just decided i would do several i have two engines that i've already completed a third one's just being completed right behind you the the bean bandit engine and you see two on the rack here that's getting ready to come apart and be done. These are all going to be museum engines for display. They all will start. We'll start them on an engine stand, run them in, and uh, then put them under glass in the museum. We have to put everything under glass. We have such a terrible pill for each problem, people wanting just any kind of a little souvenir. There's a lot of stuff you can just take off one of these engines. It's a shame. And it's hard to get it back, you know. Now, the beam bend, you mentioned that. Now, that's one of the cars in your museum. Tell us a little bit about that particular car and a little bit about the museum and how that came to be. That That is one of the beam bandit's cars. That's not an aluminum body on that car. That's all steel, hammered out of steel. Uh, Joaquin Arnez built that car himself, and his son and him helped restore it. And they sent it here with just the bare block. And... I, I I wanted to get it right in the museum, so and I like the cars to run if I can. So I I had a good racing flathead hanging on a engine hoist back here, so we stuck that in the bean bandit car and put it in there. And then recently, that was been ten years ago. Recently, I went over in the Quonset hut and I drug out the original block that they sent with the car, and it's all just about complete. I'm waiting on the mags to come back now. It had twin Wyco mags on the front of a real unique setup. 
of course, the guy that made those adapters was down in San Diego, and that's why. And, of course, they were from San Diego, so they probably knew the guy personally that built the special adapter that goes on the V8 Ford and these two four-cylinder Wyco mags set on it. Oh, really? Okay. And then it fires every other cylinder. So the four-cylinder, two four-cylinder mags timed 45 degrees apart will fire eight-cylinder engine. Gotcha. How did the uh, the concept of you moving up here to Bellevue, Florida, because you're from where originally Tampa, Sefner area? Is yeah, that Sefner suburb of Tampa. Okay. And then you came up here, and then this has what, been about 20, 25 years ago or something like that? And you started 30. This 30 years. It's been that 30 long. 30 years, yeah. Wow. Now, I know you've been having events here almost all all the time because I've been coming up here for 20 some odd plus years myself on and off for various functions, mostly Mopar shows because that's what you're most noted for and everything like that. And uh, so to start the museum, how did you, what was the process, and then how did you slowly acquire all the cars that are in your museum and the engines and all the memorabilia? I mean, it's fascinating. I urge anybody, if you get a chance, come up here to Don Gartlett's Drag Race Museum up here in Bellevue, Florida, right off I-75. You can't miss it. It's great. So tell us a little about that. Well, the, the, the museum is, is uh, 35 years old this fall right now. It was formed in 1976 when we come back from a trip from England. My wife and I traveled over to England and we had a week off and we toured the British museums for automobiles and we were quite impressed with the way the British had saved all the little trinkets and stuff from the different famous people and I just casually mentioned we ought to have a drag racing museum and and the, the guy that was touring with us, which is dead now, Les Brooks, said, well, why don't you build one? So my wife and I, coming back, we had that big piece of property in Sefner with about 30 acres, and taxes were really high, and uh, that's what they were doing over there. They put a museum on one of these estates, and that would help get generate the funds to pay the taxes. So the British were already at a point that they had to tax the property owners highly to keep up the social programs. We're just getting there now. So anyway, we thought we'd, we'd do that. So we came back. We formed a nonprofit organization. We called it Don Garland's Museum of Drag Race. It was just going to be for my stuff. We're going to have a little museum there at the Sefner. We built a 6,000-square-foot building. I had about 13 of my cars that I had never sold. But I did know where quite a few were because I was not big on selling my cars to competitors because, first of all, I didn't want them to know any of my tricks. Secondly... A lot of times the new car wasn't going to be as good as the old car because I was always experimenting. Well, then I, many times I went back and got an old car and brought it out of the mothballs and won races with it. I'm talking championship races. And it just boggles their mind. I did it in 69. I did it in uh, 76. Done it several times. So anyway, I formed a nonprofit so that I could go to these companies. I had sold my cars mostly to my sponsors as display cars with right of first refusal if they ever wanted to sell it. Well, now I offered them a nice tax write-off if they gave the car to the museum. Well, most of them did that. I got a whole bunch more cars back. Long story short, I have recovered all but two cars out of a 40-some cars, and that's that, pretty good. That's over. a lot of cars, 40? Yes, it is. They, see, I only go to Swamp Rat 36, but there was four twos and three threes and two fours and two fives and two sixes and three sevens. Is that because they were involved in wrecks or just uh, little changes? That's exactly right. We'd be running Swamp Rat 3, and we'd have a terrible wreck. We'd build another one just like it. And we still call it Swamp Rat 3. It would actually be 3B. But we wouldn't put a B on it. We'd just leave 3 because 
we'd have contracts. I'd write my contracts a year and a half in advance sometimes because I was busy. And it would say, Don Garlitz will appear at Burning Stump with Swamp Rat 3 on such and such a date. Well, if I showed up with four and it didn't run good, the promoter could say, you didn't come with the right car. I'm cutting your money. Oh, really? They would do that? Oh, they did it all the time. The, the, the promoter, when he gets ready to pay you, every dime that he can save is that much more in his pocket. And if he can badger you or bully you or anything he can do, and if you haven't lived up to the written contract, you got a problem. Okay. And so we just kept the same number on the car many times. And Ed's cars, which were Swamp Rat 2, my brother, he was always just called himself Swamp Rat 2. There was no number. He just said one day, I'm a Swamp Rat 2, T-O-O-O. So we wrote that on the car, so that means there were no twos. It was just T-O-O. Well, he had about five cars. They were all twos. Mm-hmm. We saw them in the museum. Yeah. So that's the reason there's... By the time we got to Swamp Rat 8, it was no longer Don will appear with Swamp Rat such and such. Don Garlis will appear with his fuel dragster. Okay. And that we were able to do that. And so that's why after that there was no double numbers. But we designate them A, B, and C now as to uh, so we know what we're talking about. Gotcha. And so anyway, back to the museum. So we, we built this building. Right away we got a bunch of cars, and then it was just my stuff. And then I was up on a trip to Chicago, and I stopped at the Greek's place because he, he always picked up fuel for me. He had a big lot there, and the fuel truck could drop off a drum of nitro, and then I'd pick it up. And so I was picking up a drum of nitro, and he had this real, what I called the silver bullet, which most people think is his 204 car, which is not. That was the car that he beat me so bad with in 66 when I was transferring from the 392 to the 426 and didn't know how to make it run yet. He beat me like 23 straight runs. And, you know, I really took a whipping from this car. So when he got his new car, he hung it from the ceiling in his shop there in Chicago, and I used to always go in and admire it, you know. So I stopped at this particular time, and he had it down, and he was cleaning it up on the floor. It was on wheels, no motor. And I said, Greek, what are you doing with this silver bullet? And he said, I'm going to sell it to some guys in St. Louis. I said, you'd sell the silver bullet? He said, I need nitro fuel. I've had a bad run of luck. I said, what are they giving you for it? He said, $2,000. I said, $2,000 for the silver bullet? I said, if I give you 2000 could I just have it and take it to the museum? What would you do with it, he said. I said, I'd restore it, and I'd put Swamp Rat 8 just about two foot in front of it. I said, at least I'd win one run. <laughs> one run. Is he that said, the way they're sitting over there in the display? You got it. Yeah, said. I got you. Okay, that explains that. And for years I had him sitting that way, mm-hmm. but they're in different booths. And uh, so I got it, and, I, and that was the first car that wasn't mine that was in the display. Well, the minute somebody found that out, then the phone started ringing. People had these cars in their garages. They, didn't, they wanted to get rid of them. They weren't worth nothing. This was before all of this nostalgia. Mm-hmm. See, we're talking 77 now, okay. 78. I would get calls... And the people would say, Don, we're cleaning out the garage. If you'll send a trailer up here, you can have everything in here. I said, what's in there? They said, well, my old fuel car and all the spare motors and all the blower parts and pistons and blocks and everything. Just clean the garage out. It's all yours. Just take it away. And that's how it began. And and that stuff is worth thousands and thousands of dollars today. But thank God we got it because we're not in the business of selling them. 
Right. You we're in the to... business of preserving history, and we're able to do that because of the timing is everything. You know that. Mm-hmm. That we started that museum just exactly right, gave us enough head start on everything, because by '79 all the hot rod stuff and all had really hit, and the car started to go up the value of everything, and it just got worse and worse till finally today you can't touch this stuff. I mean, like the Snake. There's three cars over there: the Wedge, the Army car, and the Winds Winder. He called me up. He said, "Don," he said, "I had a little." run a bad luck. I got these three cars. He said, I know you got this museum. He says, but I can't give them to you. He said, but I would take 20000 for all three cars. He says, they don't run, but they're complete static displays. Every piece is there. I said, I sent a Mayflower right over. Where do you want me to wire the money? He come here two years ago. He was putting together some stuff at his own place. He said, I want one of those cars real bad. He said, would you sell me the wind's winder back? He said, now remember what I charged you for him. I said, Don, I said, first of all, I said, the board of directors would have to authorize that sale because anything over 10000 they have to say it's okay. This is a nonprofit. I said, I'm only allowed to deal with 10000 and less. I said, but I can tell you right now, first of all, I don't think that they'll sell it. And if they would sell it, I'm pretty sure they want 500000 for that car. Holy moly. That went up in the back. He said, you got to be a. I said, no. I said, Don, I said, what you don't understand is those were the days when you had your name on the car. It was Don Perdome's Windswinder. Not Skull Bandit. And Perdome over here in little bitty letters. I said that changed everything when that when the sponsor became the focal point on the car. The car later loses value. Mm-hmm. It's good for TV when you're racing for the sponsor. It ain't ever good for you. It's always better if your name is the big focal point. Everybody always sees Don Perdome or Don Garlitz, and then and then wins or or Mopar or whatever. But once they became the focal point, the cars no longer have the value that they had in the old days. And uh, I guarantee you that any one of those Perdome cars, can a live engine can be put in it, and I'll take it to Barrett-Jackson, and it may even go more than a half a million. And this is what I would say when the bidding slowed down and the guy says going twice. You know what I would say? What would you say? Listen up, people. You can't reorder this car. When it's gone, it's gone. Now get off of that money. They're printing it while we're talking. There you go. All right. So anyway, Perdome got a little upset about it. I told him, I said, Don, I said, the best place for your cars are right here. I said, we get 65,000 people a year, and they come here. They, they ask at the front, are any of the snakes cars here? When we tell them the four of them are back here, they can't get the money out of their pocket fast enough. Because the, the, still, to this day, there's four big names in drag racing. And it won't be necessarily in the order that I name them. But Fours, Shirley, Perdome, and Garlitz. Those are the four household names in drag racing. If you actually did a, a survey on a Gallup poll or something like they do, the politicians, 
you you find out who numbers. Just tell them what you would do. You don't give them any any answers. You just say write down the four most famous people in drag racing that you can think of out of your head without doing any research. Don't Google nothing. Just just write it down. Just it tell it, and you'll you'll find out. Sit, Sitco did it a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And you, did you ever see the Sitco gas commercial made with the lawnmower with the big blown uh, Chevy in it? Yeah. And a parachute on my back. Did you see that? I vaguely remember that one, but yeah, yeah that was few. Well, they did a survey before that. The, they were trying to determine who they should pick. I was number one at the time, and Shirley was number two, and Perdome was third. Fourth wasn't even in it yet. Of course, there's been a lot of publicity, yes, TV shows and all now. So that changes all of that. And so they, they came to me and asked me if I would do it. And they said, if you, the reason I know about the survey is because they said, if you have some kind of a problem with Kendall and Sitco, I said, I don't have any problem with Kendall because I, I don't work for them anymore. I like their products, but I'm not under contract. Because they said, well, we got Shirley, and then if she does it, then we got Perdome. And they had done that survey nationwide. Interesting. Well, that's true. That's You are the three biggest names, Don Gardless, Shirley Muldowney, and Don Perdome. Don Perdome. Yep. So let me ask you this. Can you tell us uh, – Tell now, you used to race at – I'm sure you remember Twin City and Sunshine Speedway. I do. Okay. Well, a lot. Of, since we're based out of Pinellas County, do you have some good Twin City stories and some good Sunshine? As a matter of fact, aren't you the reason that they turned Sunshine Speedway from a quarter-mile track to an eighth-mile track? Tell us that story. It's very famous. Well, we ran off the end of the drag strip with those 200-mile-an-hour cars, but what the real problem was, the person who really got in trouble there, and a lot of people think this was me, but it wasn't. It was Billy Herndon driving the Ivo Twin Buick that went across Almonton Road and hit a pine tree out in the field over there, broke his back, tore the front off the car, and he brought it over to the shop in Tampa, and we put a new front half on it. And we later got that car from him, and it's in the museum restored. But that was the one that did it. Once he went across that road with that twin-engine car, Almington Road, you know, with the traffic and mm-hmm. everything. That, they, they had to go to eighth mile. Right. Now, that well, that was what year did that happen? Do you remember vaguely? In the 70s. In the 70s? That's when it was? Okay. Now, what about Twin City? Tell us about, and got any good old Twin City stories? Well, Twin City was, you know. Golden yeah, Triangle, right? Yeah, Back Golden the- Triangle, not Twin City. Golden Triangle was built by Jim Kaler. Don Garlitz and Jimmy Diaz. Diaz owned the property. Kaler knew the guy about asphalt, and I had some money. Mm-hmm. And it was our drag strip. Okay. We actually ran it, and we we brought we had the first big race down here. We had Caramacinas come down here and match raced my car, and we had four thousand people paid to get in that day. At Golden Triangle? At that Golden Triangle. We sunk the place. and uh, But I wanted to race, you know, and, and and we, we you know, a few guys got killed out there. I'll never forget the one went out of there one night. They, we, they didn't even have an ambulance out there. It was just, they just put him in the back of a station wagon, and his face was all ready black. You know, it broke his neck, and they carried him out of there, and he was dead. Then my brother lost a wheel down in the lights and he went out through the swamp on one side just missing these great big trees. He's holding the wheel the next day, the hub with it all the 
just the center hub out of the bike wheel. You know, he didn't get a scratch. Lucky. But, uh, <laughs> then we had a match race out there, and uh, Swingle was driving Swamp Rat 3, and he went uh, like 183 or something like that. And Malone says to me, he goes, he used to drive for me before Swingle. He says, let me take a ride in that thing. He, he just run that thing right down through there, 186 miles an hour, faster than it ever been. And, and think nothing of it. I thought nothing of it, right. I guess Swingle must have been lifting just a little bit because it was short, you know. What, so the shutdown lane was real short down yeah, there? Yeah, so short, right. Okay. Well, you know, for 200-mile-an-hour cars, when we built it, it was just, there was just nobody was going that fast. You know, we, we started building the thing in 58, was running by 59, and, you know, only I was the only one that was running like 175, 180, nobody else was. Mm-hmm. We had runoff. I mean, it didn't end. It just went out into the woods. I got you. Now, what about over at Eastlake, or what was that called? Uh, the one right there along uh, I-4. Tampa Dragway. Tampa Dragway. I'm sorry. That was another one. You crossed the, the Nota Sassa Road, 579, if you didn't shut off there. Wow. So you got some good stories about that track? That was built by Billy Herndon. Also. He bought it from the Black's Dairy. When they, when they cut the interstate through there, it left a little piece of the dairy property that was... Uh, kind of like a big triangle, mm-hmm. and he bought that and built that drag strip on that's rooms to go now. Right. And in fact, that building's built right on the drag strip, and Billy had a lot of races there. And the funniest story I got to tell there is, there's this guy over in Saint in Plant City named Bill Tower. He's big in the Corvettes now. I mean, he he's the Corvette guy, mm-hmm. but he had a fuel dragster then, and he would. But we never raced him. We just heard about him. And he would come to the different events, and he'd say, oh, I just got back from California. He was always racing where we weren't racing. In other words, if we were in the east, he was in the west. He was always winning these races. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, one weekend out there, I was supposed to race the Greek in a match race at Tampa Dragway. And in those days, you made a time trial run in the morning to see how the track was before you actually started the two out of three. Well, the Greek made this run and blew up and didn't have a spare engine, so there wasn't anybody to race me. And somebody said, Bill Towers over here, and he just lives in Plant City. So Billy Herndon ran over to him. He said, Bill, Bill, uh, is your car running? Oh, yeah, it's running good. He said, well, how about could you race Garlitz? Oh, yeah, I'm much faster than he is. Well, good. He says, I'll give you the, the Greek's money. Because the Greeks blowed up, says he's going to get seven hundred fifty dollars. Says this, we'll give him a hundred dollars for gas to get back to Chicago, and they'll give you six hundred fifty dollars. You go get run over to St. Plant City, get your car, bring it over, and do big. And if you beat him too straight, that's all you got to do. You don't even have to do three runs. Good, good. He said, I'll do it. So uh, an hour or so went by, and Billy's walking around. He said, well, Has Bill ever got back from Plant City? And, and the guy says. Bill ain't never left. He's he's right over there. He said, what? And he runs over. He said, Bill, Bill, he says, aren't you going to go? You told me he's going over. Oh, he says, I just hadn't got a chance to get away yet. I'm going to get it. I'm going to do it. Okay, hurry, hurry. Long story short, at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, Bill has never left the drag strip. He's <coughs> still there. And I made my singles, you know, and it was over. Now, when you built your first car... 
um, which was with a flathead, right? It really wasn't Swamp Rat 1. Swamp, Swamp Rat 1 was basically... The blown river, Chrysler. The blown that Chrysler. That was later. It didn't even get called Swamp Rat 1 until 1960. Okay. It was just my, a dragster before then. Okay, then back in those days, who were some of the people... I mean, what was the first year that you went out to California? 59. 59. And who were some of the people that you raced against back in 1959? Art Chrisman, uh, Gary Cagle, Waters and Chagru, the Roadster. What did you think of the competition in California coming from Florida? What was it like? Oh, it was fierce. They had good stuff out there. They had good stuff? Oh, yeah. You know, it's interesting because I had Don Perdome on the show, and he was talking about... Don Perdome wasn't in the, sh- in the picture yet. Well, I know He's that, but... too young. Right, but later... These he, guys, I'm telling you names, they're 80 and plus and are dead. Well, I understand, but <laughs> but what happens when you came out in the mid-60s then, when these guys were, like, when it, when it was starting to evolve, they said that you really came out there and put a whipping on those guys because... They hadn't experienced some of the really trick stuff that you had already been experimenting with. They had me come to California, and I did three events, and I won two of the three events. Mm-hmm. That ain't too bad for a farm boy from, a dairy farmer boy from Florida, going right into the nest out there. I mean, them guys were tough. They sent, what you don't know, they sent their three finest to Houston in 58. Uh-huh. And I met them halfway and run each car individually outran them and had top speed and low ET than me and we drove out of that place had an open trailer an old 55 Chevy with banged up fenders that I bought for a total 200 bucks drove out of that place and they were all just sitting around out there in their special grassy area that they the track had prepared for them with tents and everything and they were just all sitting around there. There, well, you should have outrun him. Well, damn it, why didn't you outrun him? Well, you had the, you had the first shot at him. You should have got him. That's what they were saying. And I'm driving away with the trophy. That's and that's a 1958 out in Houston. In Houston, right? Freeway drag strip. Now, were you? Now, what kind of car were you racing then? What was Swamp Rat One? Swamp it wasn't one. even Swamp Rat One yet. It was just my got 31 Chevy rails with a 57 Chrysler engine in it, with eight carburetors on 100 percent nitro. Wow. It, it's sitting in there right now, just the way it was. I think that's when we took a picture of it. Right around the corner. Right. Yeah. Now I that, never sold that car. That's great. That, you know, that's amazing because a lot of guys have sold their cars, just like you talked about earlier, and then your handful of racers, regardless of what form of racing you're in, that have actually kept all your original, or most of your original cars. The when you, I only ever sold a couple to actual racers. Okay. Just a couple. And I was sorry every time. Usually, I lived... To, get bit in the fanny by them. Because you said you didn't want them picking up on some of the well, technology. Well, yeah, I had and, tricks and in tricks. these cars, and I didn't want it to get out. Were you one of the first guys that experimented with the staggered front axle? Tell I was the first guy that did it. Okay. Not experimented. I just flat did it. How'd that idea come about? Well, because that the, the, was a half a second tr- intervals on the tree, and the rear-engine car moved so hard, so quick, it was red light. Okay. And so I had to have more rollout. Well, if you stagger the front end, that gives you more rollout. I got almost double rollout. Okay, I see. That, get, that, that saved me, and I was actually able to leave on a half-second tree. Later, they went to the 410th Street, and even then they needed the staggered front. Now they, there's all everything staggered, three inches mm-hmm. or two, whatever it is, two, I think it is. 
So now, as far as those kind of cars, what, what were some of the other little tricks that you incorporated that, that that are kind of revealed now that you don't mind talking about that you kind of pioneered? Well, there's a lot of them I don't want to talk about. Okay. But <laughs> there's, well... The, the ones that are kind of common, the ones that you don't mind talking about, what would some of those tricks I was be? the first guy that went to the... Everybody had the early Ford banjo rear, some configuration of it. Mm-hmm. And I was the first one that went to, like, the 49 Olds, which was a high point, which is more modern and less friction. Mm-hmm. And, and that was in Swamp Route 1. That was one of the things that got it to go uh, 176. And I was the first guy that went to the big fuel volume, which that's everything today. I mean, every, you know, they run 100-gallon pumps on these things. But in those days, Cook and Bedwell, they had the record at uh, 168. And I watched them run in the car go. And I thought, what would happen if that car didn't pull down in the middle? So I asked him, I said, why does it pull down? He said, well, he said, Fuel pressure comes down. He says, "I got to pump the pump up," and you could see him in there doing that. You actually could watch all this stuff from the outside, from the track. Say, mm-hmm. it didn't go by so quick. You know, these are ten-second cars. And he said, "I pump it up back up to ten pounds, and it charges on." Well, what they were doing, they had little bitty lines, had six carburetors with three-eighths lines to each carburetor being fed out of a block with a half-inch line. Well, you, obviously, you can't run six three-eighths lines out of a half-inch line. But they, that was all the valves were half-inch, the shut-off valves. So that's just what they ran. So I come home from Cordova after I outran them in the actual race, the world champion with my rat car. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I didn't run as fast as they did. They, run, they still ran 163, and I ran 155. So... I knew I needed to make some changes, but fuel delivery I knew was the, the problem. So I went to a bigger fuel tank, which because we only used about a gallon of fuel on the run. So you put two gallons of fuel in the tank, you had three gallons of air space. So as the fuel level went down, you didn't drop your pressure quite so fast. And I come out of the back of the line tank with a big line like this into a great big gas cock valve. You know what that is? Mm. That's a valve that's got a big ball in it. And when the ball lines up, the hole is like that, right? Oh, like a ball valve. A ball valve, exactly. Okay. Okay. And then from that into this great big square block with the six lines coming out of When I had, no matter what, I always had my six pounds. Each carburetor, that hose that's going to the carburetor, always had six pounds right at it. And that's what you needed. And it showed. It's just 176, just like that. Wow. And I had that all hidden under the hood for two years before anybody ever saw it. <laughs> I, I had belly pans underneath my car and everything painted black. See? Uh-huh. And so you couldn't even peek in there to see that thing. Wow, that's a good trick. How did the name Swamp Rat come about? That was Seto Pastorian from Detroit. When I had the bad fire in in uh, June of, 50, of 59 and Art Malone started driving for me right off the bat, I had the record at 182.54, and the first time out, he went 183.66 and raced the 13.20 record, and it infuriated Postoian. So he put an ad in Drag News, not National Dragster. National Dragster wasn't nothing. It was just because they were running gas over at the Hot Rod Association, Mm -hmm. and the Drag News was where covered everything. 
And he said, it's no wonder they call you the swamp rat. You're in this sport for what you can get. You shoot your mouth off about safety, and then you take a green kid and put him in the fastest dragster in the whole world. And that was it. And he said, well, he said, you run 826 at, at Great Bend, Kansas at 178 miles an hour, and then you ran nine-something at Dunkirk and 190 miles an hour. Explain it, pal. <laughs> well, it's easy to explain because now we know that the ET and the speed are unrelated. Okay. I mean, you could run a real good ET in a stinking speed or a real good speed and a bad ET, which is just exactly what we were doing. But they didn't realize that then. They thought if the speed was good, the ET had to be good, not true. But anyway, I was infuriated, and a friend of mine was making a movie about us at the time. He said, Swamp Rat. He said, that's a hell of a name. He said, I don't think there are any Swamp Rats. Well, later we found out there are Swamp Rats. Anyway, he had his artist draw up that mouse, and you see it. It's on everything. Mm -hmm. The little guy with the flag. And we even made a doll with it. You can buy one in the speed shop in there. That's correct. Now, what are you doing these days? Are you racing the Challengers? I understand that you, there was a black Challenger that's over in the garage over there. That's my new one. That's my double-A car with the, with the Viper engine in it, and I have a 2009 in the trailer, which I've ran all this year. So what class are you running then, basically, now? Well, the, the, the 9 was in an A stock automatic, and some guy went 960 at Indy, and they re-indexed us, so now it's in double-A. And so I didn't race it anymore. I took it out of competition, the 2009 car. I just got the double-A car. It just came the other day. Okay, so what class is that going to go? It'll be double-A. Double-A. But that's okay. It runs 950s. Okay. And then you're going to continue to do this for a while then? Yeah, but not. I don't do any kind of racing as a full-time deal. I just It's just for fun now. For fun. I'll be 80 in January. Well, you're young looking and you're young, young acting and so, young, age is a state of mind. So. I, I guess. I guess. Well, Don Garlis, I want to thank you for coming on the radio show this evening, and uh, thank you for taking the time. Would you be willing to come on again sometime, and we'll pick sure. up uh, another come up level? anytime. Okay, I enjoyed it very much. Thank you. Thank you, Robert. Okay, bye-bye. Hey, how you doing? My name's Robert. Hi. How are you? What's your name? Easy Rat. Easy Rat. Okay, hey, we're here at uh, Don Garlis Rats and Rods, and we're here with Easy Rat, and he's got this fabulous, outstanding, I guess you would call it a rat rod, right? I would, yes. Tell us exactly about your car a little bit and tell us how it evolved and uh, what was the whole premise behind the whole thing. Well, I got this as a roller. Uh, brought it home and finished it up. Uh, <clears throat> I've been doing rat motorcycles for years and decided to get into cars, and uh, I've loved every minute of it. It's uh, low budget, lots of fun, and you can't make a mistake with it. So how did the whole rat rod thing come to evolve? And, and uh, Am I correct in understanding that it started out with motorcycles? Uh, you may be. I've heard a lot of different stories from that, and definitely motorcycles uh, have been going longer than rat rods, so uh, there's a very good chance that's true. Okay. Now, how did your car start out? What made you decide to put a... That's a Chevrolet 256 or something in it? Uh, yes, it's a 292 uh, Chevy yeah. truck engine. Okay. Um, I was just a little tired of seeing the old small block Chevys and wanted something a little different. So I thought the old inline six is kind of... Uh, in line with the old school stuff, and, uh, you know, when we were uh, bagging groceries for a buck and a half an hour, that's all you could afford is whatever you run into like that. Now tell us about the chassis. What's the chassis on this vehicle right here? Well, this is homemade. It's two by three box steel uh, homemade chassis. Uh, it's raised about 13 inches in the back. Uh, it's got a four nine inch rear end, turbo 400 transmission. 
uh, and it's just put together with uh, whatever works. And tell us a little bit about the inside of the car. How, where'd, the, where'd the idea and the concept come a little bit from this? I mean, like some of the special details that you decided to use on this car. For example, the steering wheel looks like it's out of an airplane, right? Well, actually, that's uh, Atlas Chalmers tractor. Oh, it's a tractor. Wheel. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, a lot of these are eBay finds. The steering wheel was the eBay find. Mm-hmm. Uh, some stuff out of swap meets. Uh, some things are just laying around the garage. Whatever works. Uh, you don't have to follow the rule book with these. Now, the windows, you got these grates on the windows. What are these? These look like they're out of a refrigerator or a stove or something. Actually, those are closet shelves. Closet shelves, okay. And uh, those purpose for those is my, my dog back here. He rides with me to the car shows a lot. It okay. keeps him safe. And then I noticed on the seats, you've got what? They look like burlap sacks for upholstery? Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, no, but it gives it a nice touch. And then, of course, the wheels, the tires are old vintage-style uh, cheater slicks, and then the wheels are reproduction ETs? Uh, yes, they are. Uh, those from Team 3 uh, look like old uh, Halibrand or ET wheels. And then on the back of the car, what did you do here for taillights? You just kind of just retrofitted something? That looks like it's, what, off a motorcycle or something, those taillights? Actually, yes. Uh, I had a three-wheel trike, and... Uh, I thought those looked more appropriate on the hot rod, so I put those on the hot rod, and they, they worked out real well. Uh, the turn signals are a combination of old Model A lights and flower pots. Mm-hmm. Oh, flower pots. Okay, that's a nice touch. <laughs> and I like your license plate, Easy Rad. That's you. And then, please touch my junk. That's nice. That's a change for, you know, most people say, please don't touch my car because you'll get shot or something, but please touch my junk. Now, what are some of the more unique things that you added to this car, too, I mean, in terms of detail and stuff like that? Something that, you know, that's kind of uh, unusual, just typical junkyard find that you added to this car that gives a little bit of unique quality. What about the grill and the grill and the headlights on this thing? Uh, the grill I, I found off on eBay, and I don't even know what it came off of. It looks like a 32 Ford, but uh, somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah. The roof uh, was kind of unique. It didn't have a roof on it. So I went to the junkyard and found this uh, fiberglass top off a custom van and uh, chopped it up and made it fit. Oh, that looks pretty good. That's nice. Got a little bit of a spoiler lip to the front there. <laughs> okay, and then what's that rack, that uh, bar that you got welded across the top? What's that? Yeah, it helps for my chairs. Bring my chairs to car shows. I can stack them up there when I've got passengers and tie them down. Okay, so that's kind of like a, a homemade roof rack. And then the boxes, do they serve any purpose on the roof there? You get storage in there? Oh, yes. Uh, I don't have any trunk space in this particular style of sedan, so I can keep my jacks and bungee cords and tools and uh, things I might need. I do come in. They come in handy from time to time. And then what about the uh, hood ornament? What's unique about the hood ornament there? That looks like a horn? Uh, yes, it is. That was a piece just laying around my garage and uh, had a hole in the top of that uh, radiator shroud, and it just happened to fit, so there it went. <laughs> okay. And then the little can that's on the cowl there, what exactly does that do? All right, that's, that's an old, uh, old beer can. Uh, and I've got the oil pressure gauge mounted in okay, there. Okay, that's kind of neat. And then what's that on the on the cowl that vent there? Is that kind of like a bullet rounds or something like that? Uh, yes, yes. Those okay. are old spent shells. I got you. Okay, it's kind of neat. And then uh, the, the lights that you got, the turn signal lights, they look a little bit like rockets, like something out of the Buck Rogers era. Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> Those are another eBay find. Uh, they're a Mac off a Mac truck. Oh, okay. Running lights. Well, you know, it looks like you did a fantastic job. And this car, in my opinion, so far, what I've seen, I've been here about uh, well, about an hour now. This is one of the coolest-looking rat rods, if you want to use the term here. And, again, uh, for all you listeners out there, we are here at uh, Rats and Rods at Big Daddy's. All right, we're getting next to a mini slingshot. Unfortunately, it's got a problem on Chevrolet. I wish it had a Ford. He's going through the bleach box. Let's see what this gentleman does. See if he lights his baby up a little bit, gets a little snow. 
I guess. That's the real deal, guys. We had an old vintage funny bone right next to that guy. So they're both getting ready to stage. You're out front. They're getting ready to back up. This is what they do. Hold tight, guys. live at Philip Roof Drags in Lakeland, okay, at the uh, Lakeland Motorsports Raceway. Is that what this is called now? I'm pretty sure. But anyway, so these are some old vintage classic cars. Up next, we got a 1964 Plymouth. Get ready. You can hear it backing up for us. He's getting ready to go in the bleach box. He might even do us a favor and do a burnout. Give it a little luck. Don't light him up. Hang on here, guys. I think he's going to do it. Up, he got a play. Now he's pulling out of the box. Let's see if he gives it a big smoke. Here he goes. All right, that's the real deal, guys. All right, sit tight. This guy's going to make a pass. You don't know where he's going to go. It's eight seconds or less is what I'm betting on this car because we're eight mile, okay? So hang in there, guys. six Chevrolet looks like. We'll see what this guy does. My guess is he'll probably be somewhere in the eights. And then we got a little longer wheel There he goes. Doing a little test run there out of the box. It's got a big block Chevrolet in it. Long wheel base car. Both of these are slingshot front engine dragsters. That one's bouncing pretty good. So, Boy, that's stereo if there ever was stereo. Let me tell you guys, this is some fun stuff. This is what it's all about. This is what nostalgia drag racing this is why nostalgic drag racing is really, really cool. Because it's fun, it's affordable, it's nostalgic. You can build this thing out of your garage. This is the kind of sport that everybody can get involved in. It doesn't take a hell of a lot of money. It's not high tech. And let me tell you something else. These guys here, they're having a great time. They're having fun. They're not worried about time. They're not worried about winning. not worried about losing. They're just out here just getting some seat time and playing with the cars. It's a giant automotive camaraderie get going on. It is a lot of fun. And I would encourage everybody to come out there and check this out. It's going to get loud here in a few minutes, so we're going to sign off. We'll tune in a few minutes later. See you guys. All right, we're back. Hey, now we got some real door slammers out here. we got a nice 44 coupe, black, straight axle car. And right beside it, bada-bing, a mob-colored 55 Chevy. Another straight axle car. These two are going to go down probably heads up, it looks like. If I had to guess, I'd say they're probably both... Uh, yeah, it could be seven-second cars. They both got killing little 350 Chevrolets in them or some sort of small-block Chevrolet. So let's uh, see how these guys do, and then we'll get right back to you. I mean, there's some sensation-looking stuff out here right now. we got some nice door slammers coming up. So this is kind of stuff that just about anybody can drive. There you go. It's going to be a little burnout. That's the real deal, guys. Hang on a second. These guys are going to take off here in a few seconds once they get done staging. This is nostalgia drag. This is classic. You're going to have to go check out our Facebook page and our podcast to 
You might have some really great audio and some great pictures of this kind of stuff because this is really, really neat stuff. I, again, I encourage everybody to come check this stuff out. Really, really, really neat stuff. This just takes you back about 40 years, 40, 50 years, depending on your age. But I'll tell you what, this is the real deal. All right, we're out of here. We're here. We're back at the. And we're still here, actually, at the uh, Bulletproof Drags. This is Lakeland uh, Motorsports Park, right? Okay. And we're here with Tommy and Jan, and you guys are out of uh, Alabama, right? And I met you guys yesterday at Don Garland's at Rats and Rods with Big Daddies, right? Yes. So now you're down here at the drag shift. You've got your '58 Corvette down here. Tell us a little bit about your car. Beating the guts out of it. Beating the guts. That's a good thing. Okay. <laughs> Just having fun. Track's good. Car's running good. Really? What kind of time's you turning? Uh, best one so far is a 749. And you're just having fun? Just having fun. What's the, tell us a little bit about the motor. What's in there? Uh, it's 383 stroker, roller motor, uh, small valves in the heads, nothing special, just a good old, and I don't have to work on it. That's, That's what I like. Good, dependable motor. So what do you good think about your husband out here playing around? Oh, I love it. I love, it. love it. We have a lot of fun together. We have. We've been doing this for years and years and years, and we just have lots of fun. Super. Now, how, tell us a little bit about the car. This car's been a drag car since when? The car's been a drag car since the 60s. Since it the was 60s. a gasser in the 60s. It's had a blown Oldsmobile injected Pontiac engine in it. I've had five big blocks, and this is the third small block. And you're happy with this motor right now? Right now. So you used to do professional drag racing with this thing, right? I did. You did. Now I have fun with it. Now you have fun with it. Okay. <laughs> well, that's that's the whole point of this whole thing with yes. this uh, rats and rods and the uh, nostalgia drag racing. You don't have to have a lot of money. Just a really, really cool car. Keep it on a budget. Have Let's fun. Consistency. Right. And then it makes it fun for everybody, and it's a family affair, right? Yes, you got it. Well, I want to thank you guys for coming on the air. Hello. How are you again? <laughs> Hello. How are you so Jan and uh, Tommy, and we'll see you sometime if All I right. get up to uh, Alabama, right? Alabama. Sexy okay. Alabama. All right. We're going to be out buzzing around. We're going to find some more people, and we're going to uh, let you guys, we're going to clue everybody in on what's going on here later this afternoon. All right, we're here at the, uh, what is it, the, the least important uh, uh, automotive event. Actually, not. It's the real automotive event. This is Bulletproof, and I'm sitting here with Alan. Alan, Alan Galbraith, yes, from uh, Bulletproof. Yep. Al- Alan, welcome to the show. You were here on my show last year. Indeed. And we And we were over here, and you were telling us, uh, you know, you invited us over here. You're nice enough to do that. And uh, we got to experience some of the old car stuff, the drag racing, the hot rodding, the old nostalgia thing. So tell us about how this event this year is going and what your take is on it and the, and the feedback and response from everybody. Well, the Bulletproof Drags here at uh, Lakeland uh, Motorsports Park in Ocala is going really well. We've got a, a good turnout of some some fairly fast cars today. I was, I was a little surprised. Uh, normally, uh, the Bulletproof Drags are for... Uh, people with uh, some some stock or slightly modified cars that may not be too comfortable at the drag strip to get their cars out and run them and today we have we have those guys that showed up and we have just a passel of uh, really fast rail jobs um, front engine dragsters uh, altered wheelbase cars that are really tearing up the track today and putting down some good times and you got a lot of just casual door slammers that are out here too having a good time. Indeed, yeah, it's that's what's kind of it's all about. You can bring your your stock '53 Cranbrook and run a, a 22nd eighth mile, or you can bring your altered wheel based winged blown fueled car and run a four second eighth mile. It doesn't matter. Including mini bikes. There's mini bikes out here. Tell us about that. Indeed, I just got got done taking a ride on a uh, lay down. 
uh, pro street style dual engine mini bike and I, bike and I gotta tell you that thing was a, was a hoot it was really fast um, we kind of started just as for fun with the guys with uh, pit bikes and uh, they bring their vintage mini bikes out and we said we'll do mini bike madness and as soon as I said we're gonna do mini bike races I tell you what the the classifieds were cleared of vintage mini bikes for miles around and now they've started making purpose-built drag bikes with sidecars wheelie bars all kinds of stuff and they're having a ball with them that's good now let me ask you a question now how many venues a year do you guys participate in how many nostalgia drag venues do you do we only do two drag races we do five okay. shows uh but two drag races one here in florida and one in uh, washington state okay and uh, we have a very good turnout at both we'd like to do more uh, we're uh, busily adding uh, adding drag races to our other shows as well Okay, now the, uh, the the regular car show show events, how many of those do you do in Florida or in the southeast? We do uh, just the one in Florida. Uh, we do five across the country, uh, one in Texas, one in California, Washington, Michigan, and down here. Okay, and now in the spring, you're going to be back where? You're going to be here in Florida again, right? We're going to be here in Florida. We're going to be at the uh, Don Garlitz uh, Museum of Drag Racing in Ocala. Okay. And Big Daddy is the, is the host of the show. The show takes place literally in his backyard. And uh, at his museum of drag racing, and he he likes to pull out one or two of his dragsters while we're there and fire them up for the crowd, and everybody really appreciates that. What's the criteria to bring a car to a bulletproof event? Bulletproof events are 64 and before, traditionally styled hot rods, customs, and motorcycles. Okay. And we have some guidelines. Uh, you know, if somebody says, "Well, I don't really know what a traditionally styled hot rod is," we have some guidelines on our website that give the the rough idea. But the basic idea is if you could crack open a, uh, a rod and custom or a hot rod magazine from the 50s if your car looks like that and is true to that style you're in the show uh, we don't have anything against more modern street rods or any or you know modern high-tech hot rods but uh, there's plenty of shows for those we kind of limit it just to the specific style and that's what makes it good okay now tell us a little bit difference the term rat rod gets used a lot what's rat rod versus hot rod i mean explain it to our listeners uh, Rat rod uh, versus traditional rod, it's its kind of a fine point of style that some people don't understand. Um, but uh, if you're making a hot rod that harkens back to the 50s and 60s that you could have found on on a, you know, a, in the parking lot of a drive-in or at uh, your local high school in 1957, that's a traditional style hot rod. Um, some guys have gotten a little more creative than that. They've taken liberties with that style. Um, they're taking some stuff that... Uh, that you know is is as found and putting it on their cars they're they're making the cars styled a little more outrageously uh that that starts to get into the the rat rod style um it's not to say that you know if you have a car that's unpainted or is rusty it's not necessarily that doesn't necessarily make it a rat rod it might just be an in-progress car that you're on your way to, to uh, doing something different with but uh, some of the guys are are really styling them pretty wild, um, are uh, putting some parts together that uh, they probably wouldn't have done back in the 50s or 60s, and that, that kind of steers them over into the rat rod category. So it's kind of an extreme version, custom version of hot rodding, so to speak. Exactly, exactly. Okay. Uh, Billetproof isn't a hot rod, uh, a rat rod show per se. We're more of a traditional style hot, hot rod show. Uh, we don't exclude the rat rods, um, but uh, it's, it's not a heavy concentration of them. Okay. So. Now, right now, you said you have five events per year that are show-oriented and two events that are drag racing. Do you plan on adding to that? I mean, how many more would you like to do? I'd like to be able to do a drag race at every place we do a show. Okay. Um, you know, we do we do the shows in places where there's a good enough concentration of, 
of the tr- traditional style hot rods to make a good show and uh, get a group together that everybody has a good time. And uh, you know, I'm I'm personally more of a racer than a show person. Uh, I I have more fun driving my car than I have uh, walking around it. So uh, we we'd love to be able to add a, a drag race at every show and give people that that opportunity to hang out at the show and barbecue with their friends and uh, see a bunch of other cars and then come back and later in the year and give them an opportunity to get out on the track and get a get a timing slip and uh, and race with their friends what's the criteria if i want to bring my car here what does my car have to how does my car have to be to be able to run on the track to to do the drag race it's 64 and before basic billet proof rules apply okay uh, 64 and before uh, we do some basic t- uh, tech inspection um you know, we want to make sure it's safe. Um, we certainly want to make sure you have uh, some safety equipment, you know, seat belts, helmet, that kind of thing. Um, but it's not a full NHRA tech. Uh, um, we're a little more lenient because some of the cars, frankly, aren't that fast. Um, if you're bringing a fast car, and some we have some here today that are really, really burn, burning up the track, um, we talk with you, and if you're, if we know you're going to be a little faster, we start to pay attention more and, uh, you know, make sure you have the right safety equipment, fire suits, that sort of thing. And for the most part, guys that have the fast cars, they know what they're doing, and they, they already have that equipment with them. So, uh, but we, we, it's kind of a sliding tech scale. <laughs> gotcha. Now, if somebody wants to find out about your events, how do they contact you, and how do they find out about Billetproof? Uh, best way to, would be to go to the Billetproof website at billetproof.com. And uh, there's a full year's schedule. There's uh, pictures and videos from past year's shows, so you can see what kind of cars show up. Uh, you can see the pictures and videos from the drag races. And, uh, like I said, full schedule and stories about uh, about some featured cars and uh, upcoming events. Super. Well, Alan, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Thank you And we'll definitely be, uh, definitely be in touch. And I want to thank you for inviting me and my son out here, and it's a great event. I hope you had a good time. That's what it's all about. Wow, this has been one of my coolest shows, man. I hope you guys all enjoyed this. I want everybody to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars next week. You never know where I'm going to be next. So drive carefully, stay safe, and love your family. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radium Cars. I'd like to tell you about a great place to eat right on the main part of Clearwater Beach. Located at 333 South Gulfview Boulevard. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill has two floors of food, drink, and fun. They have daily specials, happy hour, and nightly entertainment. Their menu caters to seafood lovers as well as land lovers. 
Bradby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill, 727-608-2065. They're open in the morning for breakfast until 1 a.m. So stop by and visit my friends, Turtle, Eddie, and Polly, and all the girls and staff at Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill. That's 727-608-2065. Mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you never know, you might get a free drink. That's Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill on Clearwater Beach, 727-608-2065. 